Hi, so we wanted to apologize at the top before the episode starts. There's going to be some funky audio, specifically on my end. This is Kate, by the way. There are some funky snaps, crackles, and pops in my audio. We're not entirely sure what happened, but I am scheduling a long, hard talk with my laptop to see what it needs from me so that we can reach an accord. We know it's funky, we're working on it, and we did consider re-recording this entire episode, but we didn't want to risk losing our original reactions that we had to each other's ideas, insights, and just wild statements. We also didn't want to risk sounding insincere, rushed, or bored. So, sorry in advance. Thank you for hanging in there. We're going to exercise this audio demon so that next week's audio is even better. Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just School With It, a podcast where we talk about how society influences our favorite, and sometimes least favorite, horror movies. I'm Nikki. And I'm Kate. And today we're talking about Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps. This is a breath of fresh air after Oof. the fourth kind. Jesus. <laughs> so happy. Yeah, it was a hard turn in more ways than one. A hard turn. Um, they're so good. Oh my gosh. Um, and we can just jump right into facts. Let's do it. I got some, I got just a few, but I have one that I'm I'm baffled by. Oh, so okay, okay, okay. I'm hoping that... I'm hoping you'll either know more about it or we'll just not know more and it'll be a fun little mystery. A mystery. There's no way to know the answer. <laughs> There's no way to know. Okay. So it was um, directed by John Fawcett. Uh, it was also written by John Fawcett, but he wrote it with someone mm-hmm. else. And she's on Karen my list Moulton. in a minute. So we'll... Yes. It was written by Karen Moulton. So John Fawcett, Karen Moulton wrote it together. Um, he also directed episodes of Xena Warrior Princess. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Like, I mean, he has other stuff, too, that I wrote down, but I wrote that down, too, because I was like, I love Zeta. <laughs> um, yeah, so he did some award-winning short films, Half Nelson and Scratch Ticket. Uh, his first, like, feature film, though, was called Boys Club, which I've never seen, but apparently it was quite good. Um, and then he co-created the show, the BBC show Orphan Black. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, and he actually also had Karen Walton on Orphan Black. She, like, wrote and helped out with a few episodes. That's awesome. And I was like, look at you, sticking together. Um, yeah, so like I said, written by Karen Walton. Uh, it actually, she won uh, Best Film Writing at the Canadian Comedy Awards for this movie, I believe. That sounds about right. <laughs> it was a very wry, like, witty, yeah. Mm-hmm. It really was. Uh, yeah, and then she obviously also worked on Orphan Black. Uh, and then my last fact. So the budget was four point five million. Hmm. Do you know how much it made? Not even a little bit. I'm gonna go with my usual guess of twenty million. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Five hundred and seventy-two thousand seven hundred and eighty-one dollars. No. Yeah. Isn't that mind blowing? It, it made less than a million. Yeah. Holy shit. 572,000. It didn't take off in other countries the way it did in Canada, but I didn't right. know it was like that. I didn't either because I've never, like, I hadn't heard about this movie until like a few years ago. And then every time I did hear about it, it was always on lists of like, this movie's amazing. This is a classic. Everyone should watch it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was like, oh, this must be like, people love this. Like, this is a really, really good movie. So then when I read that, I was like, what the fuck? What happened? <laughs> this movie is so good. Wow. Yeah. Like, I was really surprised. I mean, maybe it just came out at a time that the world was not prepared or something. I, Because I, it came out in 2000. It's interesting you say that because some of the research that I did was saying that, like, it came out uh, pretty soon after Columbine. And oh, so... Wow. There was also another, like, school shooting of some sort in Canada. Oh, my God. And so they were like, well, we have um, a movie about um, teenage violence. Uh, do you want it? Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. I Yeah, I, I bet that definitely had something to do with it. That's a little tough. A little bit. Um, I have not forgotten. <laughs> I know what time it is. Um, this one's going to be a little tough. Um, I wonder why. Okay. Shut up. <laughs> So, it starts with two sisters, and they are both obsessed with death. Uh, it's got a hell of an opener. It's buck wild. I, I don't want to spoil it, but that's what this whole episode is about, so I'm going to spoil it. They just do a bunch of, like, staged suicides, basically. Really starts it off with a bang. And also, you find out you find out the dogs are being killed. So, like, that's a whole thing. It starts basically with a woman just screaming, Baxter's dead! And then literally no one... Oh my God. No one reacts. I laughed so hard. She's like, Baxter's dead. And a bunch of kids just keep playing hockey. Like, okay. They like, whatever. Paused, looked at her, laughed, kept playing hockey. It was awful. So that was already, I was like, what a bang. Uh, So the sisters are obsessed with death. Um, They also have this weird obsession with like, we don't want to get her, period. Like, we don't want to get it. Their mom is super like, when's it going to be time? And they're both like, fucking never. Um, But then one of them does. Um, and it's Ginger, who is, like, I would say the more, like, popular out of the two sisters. Like, there's one that's very antisocial, and there's one that's, like, Ginger, who is antisocial, but mm, I think she, like, also kind of craves other friends. We'll get into this later. But she, um, she gets her period, but also, like, also gets attacked by a werewolf <laughs> at the same time. Mm-hmm. So... You know, she's going through a lot of changes. Something's happening. <laughs> some things are happening. Uh, so that's pretty much it. I mean, Ginger just goes through some wild changes, puberty, and being a werewolf. Uh, and her sister is basically just trying to find a cure the whole movie. And it's it's uh, really interesting because the cures are interesting. Um, yeah, and you really just get to see the progression of uh, Ginger's transformation. And it's a pretty slow transformation, which is neat. And uh, ends with a bang. I love it. Ginger, Ginger don't don't do so well. <laughs> yeah, Ginger's had better days. <clears throat> oh, Ginger. But some would say Ginger may have snapped. snapped. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I said it, I hated myself. But here we we'll are. We'll get into that. We'll get into Not that. you hating yourself. We'll get into the Ginger snaps. <laughs> well, we'll get into that too. Eh, you know. <laughs> all right, all right. So re- give us give us like a real a real plot here. Okay. What's this all about? So I pulled this one from IMDb, and this was user submitted on IMDb by Jay Haley, I believe. Is becoming a woman analogous in some deep psychological way to becoming a werewolf? Ginger's <laughs> Ginger is sixteen, edgy, tough, and with her younger sister, into staging and photographing scenes of death. They've made a pact about dying together. In early October, on the night she has her first period, which is also the night of a full moon, a werewolf bites Ginger. Within a few days, some serious changes happen to her body and her temperament. 
Her sister Bridget, 15, tries to find a cure with the help of Sam, a local doper. <laughs> As Bridget races against the clock, Halloween and another full moon approach. Ginger gets scarier. And it isn't just local dogs that begin to die. Dang. Okay, that was good. Yeah. I was like uh, hesitant or like not totally sure after that opening question about like right. becoming a woman analogous to becoming a werewolf. And I was like, okay. Maybe. Let's maybe. check this out. <laughs> so I was, I was unsure, but they brought me back. Brought me back around. Yeah, they really, they had us in the first half, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I thought that was great. I mean, you know, word for word, almost like mine, but sure, whatever. Yeah, no, they were pretty much carbon copies, so. Are you Jay Haley? Oh, I don't want to say. That's that's top secret. Oh, well. So. Mm. Stop asking so many questions. Oh, someday. <laughs> Listen, you're asking a lot of questions. <laughs> Stop asking questions! <laughs> um, all right, yeah. Uh, I really like that. I, I like that it kind of hit on basically everything that goes on but also i forgot about sam yeah i I like sam in this movie and i just left him out of my so not my little plot i was like no we'll talk about sam later we'll get to him Uh, i'm really excited for nerd corner because i have no idea what you're gonna do okay usually i have like an inkling at least a little bit but with this one i was like i really have no clue what kate's gonna do did you predict the clown panic (laughs) <laughs> okay remember remember when i just said that i i usually have an inkling what i meant was uh-huh. one time i had an inkling <laughs> um, so uh yeah, okay. i guess what i'm saying is we're just back to business as usual i don't know what's gonna happen i love it <laughs> okay so for this nerd corner i want to briefly cover the general societal anxieties that werewolf represent as well as the specific intersection of a monster movie and teenage coming of age story and when I say briefly cover general social anxieties, that's because we're going to do more werewolf movies. Uh, True. Quite soon, actually. So as both of these topics, uh, they both have transformation at the core. Ginger Snaps offers varying takes on it. The most obvious transformation is into monster, specifically a werewolf. There's also Ginger's transformation as she gets her first period and becomes a stranger to Bridget. As Ginger changes her wardrobe, tries drugs, chases boys, they get further and further apart. Then there's Bridget's transformation, realizing she is her own person, and she struggles against Ginger's gravity to find her own orbit. But before we get into the specifics of Ginger Snaps, I do want to talk about werewolves in general, briefly. So while each werewolf movie generally offers a different take on the myth Mm -hmm. and highlights a different specific anxiety and desire, generally the cultural weight of werewolves boils down to a fear and or embracing of raw emotional or primal urges and this unstable duality. So the battle is between society, the civilized world, and way of being, and also between nature, a return to instincts and animality. The author of Monster Theory, Reading Culture, Jeffrey Cohen, I, by the way, already bought that book today. It's coming in Saturday. Woo! I read the title, and I was like, oh, I'm buying that. Uh, so it'll be here Saturday. Sounds like a good book. I'm excited. Uh, and there's also another book I'm reading right now, which is um, Women and Monsters, Creating a New Mythology. Oh. It's really good. I think I've actually... I don't know if I've read this one, but we I, I took a class in uh, college that was called um, like like I don't know women in monster films mm. or something or like women in media specifically horror. I don't remember the actual title of the class, but that was what it was. It was like how are women like portrayed in movies like horror films? How does like their body play a part in it? And like why is it so featured to have them like so scantily clad always? And like yeah, why is it great when they're not? Kind of thing. It was yeah so. We covered like tons and tons of horror movies and why it was just different when they were not used as like sex objects in movies, which can be very frustrating. (laughs) 
Okay, I also want to read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, this one is Women and Other Monsters. I uh, see. By Zimmerman. Okay. Uh, and it came oh, out, cool. like, in the past few months. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. So it definitely wasn't this no. one. But, <laughs> but I but very good. do want to read the one that you mentioned, sincerely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will I'll look it up. I, I probably still have my, my class thing for it. Fuck you. Okay, so Jeffrey Cohen said that this is a direct quote from someone that's covering his book. So, quote, mm. Cultures project their anxieties onto monsters, which always manage to escape and reinvent themselves for future generations, thus making them hard to pin down and categorize. As the embodiment of the other, the monster polices the border of the possible and warns people that curiosity is more often punished than rewarded. In fact, however much monsters threaten, they reflect culture's desires and represent escapist fantasies. Ooh. And we see this thread of escapist fantasy in an article by Heather McCallum called mm-hmm. The Werewolf Slash Vampire Dichotomy. And it's a really cool article because it's actually talking about how werewolves and vampires are most readily understood in opposition to each other as they're like opposite sides of the same coin. But we're not talking about vampires right now. <laughs> not so in a direct quote from this article, werewolves represented an outlet to vent those aggressions in a more naturalistic sense against the unfeeling and inhuman violence of long-lasting warfare, the atomic bomb, the cubicle divided workplace where interaction was limited. The werewolf offers a form of fullest expression of self with no memory or responsibility for their actions. Counterpoint to these almost positive expressions of personal power, the werewolf also represents the loss of control, becoming too naturalistic and losing identity to the passions. Giving in to that monstrous impulse eliminates all forms of self-control, removes that person entirely from society into a very isolating existence. A werewolf has visceral physical power granted to him or her, (laughs) the ability to destroy, but this power is more of a bind and impediment than an offering of more complete self-determination. It is an illusory feeling and emphasizes that power cannot be mistaken for control. Ooh. Ooh, I yeah. like that last line quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And we good. will get into power and control when we talk ginger snaps. Hell yeah. But first, it's essential to note that creature features, specifically werewolves, are generally in a masculine subgenre of horror. Mm-hmm. And Very much so. What I mean by that is that the main character is a man written for men by men directed by a man. And that's not unique to monster movies. That's just a general trend in the industry. Yeah. But when we get into monster movies, the monster that we are given to empathize with is historically male. So just a short list of some werewolf (laughs) movies. Just a short list. Uh, Werewolf of London in 1935. The Wolfman Mm -hmm. in 1941. The Curse of the Werewolf in 1961. The Howling and An American Werewolf in London in 1981. Silver Bull and Teen Wolf both in 1985. Wolf in 1994. And Brotherhood of the Wolf in 2001. (laughs) These all starred male werewolves. I'm drowning in werewolf movies. Stop. So many werewolf movies. Oh, my God. Uh, but enter John Fawcett and Karen Walden. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Step on in. That's them stepping onto the stage. Excited to be here. So Fawcett <laughs> wanted to make a unique monster movie, and Walton wanted to reimagine the role of teenage girl in horror. In interviews, she's talked about not about wanting to not only see a story closer to her own, but also to really show that girlhood and adolescence isn't a monolithic experience. There are shared traumas and pressures, but there's a uniqueness and individuality that isn't often extended to girls the same way it is to boys. Yep. And Ginger Snap speaks to that. So, as you said in your glorious summary... Thank you. (laughs) We have two sisters with a suicide pact. They will escape their town by 16 or they will die together. They're outcasts, primarily for being morbid, (laughs) and their overwhelming and vocal disdain for the high school social scene and anyone who participates in it. So there's this codependent relationship between the two sisters neither of which have started menstruating, and there's the beast of Bailey Downs stalking the streets. 
when Ginger gets her first period, she also gets bitten by the beast, understood to be a werewolf. It is a very obvious pairing of puberty with monstrosity, these twin transformations that share characteristics of fear of change, bodily anxiety, confusion, desire, and new impulses. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are several aspects to the puberty anxiety. There's Mm -hmm. the internal battle against the unknown and impending change that I just mentioned. Right. But there's also the external anxiety around female sexuality, particularly adolescent sexuality, that shapes the roots available to Ginger and Bridget. Yeah. I could really get into the weeds on constructions (laughs) of gender and sexuality. As you know, it's kind of what I got a degree in. True. Uh, But the overall concept is this. Women's bodies are not their own. They exist to procreate for the good of society, manage the home, and fulfill male desire. There's also the general historical focus on procreation over pleasure for women. We do not exist to pursue our own pleasure. We should be blank slates for men to map desire onto. And this is a very cis-normative, heteronormative statement because that's how the overarching power structure views society. Mm Mm-hmm. And importantly, the degree to which we suffer due to non-compliance varies based on race, class, ability, etc. Mm-hmm. And societal structures and values differ across time and place. But at the core of it, we have an imbalance of power maintained by the ruling class. And in the cultural context of this film, we see the pressures put on teen girls by the prevailing cultural anxiety around sexuality and agency of women and girls. And this is communicated in many ways, several very overt For example, uh, remarkably (laughs) self-aware, in talking about how to get away with murder, Ginger says, No one thinks chicks do shit like this. Trust me, a girl can only be a slut, bitch, tease, or the virgin next door. We'll just coast on how the world works. That was, like, my favorite line. (laughs) I, like, paused it, rewound it, made sure I got it, quote, like, oh, my God, I loved it. Yeah. And she's... We'll just coast on how the world works. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Yes! And she's speaking directly to that double bind, that people who identify as women need to be sexy but chaste. And that indoctrination starts young. Oh, yeah. You have limited options. They all suck. Now pick one. So how do werewolf trends intersect with narratives centering the experience of teenage girls? Oh, boy. Ginger snaps. (laughs) (laughs) So Ginger snaps shows burgeoning sexuality and desire paled with an animalistic and uncontrollable desire to confuse consume human or canine flesh we see puberty changing ginger as the progression of lycanthropy changes her body in short we get to explore duality raw emotional impulse bids at control and questions of agency playing out in two realms with uncanny similarities we also get to see a genuinely funny creative film about toxic relationships resisting societal norms and pressures and growing up yeah so going back to how we look at monsters If we want to look at Cohen's reading of monsters, we can see cultural anxiety mapped out onto Ginger as she resists societal norms and rules. From McCallum's perspective, we could see Ginger's rebellion as an attempt to break free of patriarchal structures and heedlessly pursue pleasure and power. But as McCallum says, power and control are not the same. And as we know, Ginger is actually not the hero of the story. Bridget is. (laughs) Bridget's the one that is being rocked by change just happening around her and in her relationships. And instead of lashing out, she researches, tracks, listens, and plans. And in the end, she... I love Bridget I love so much. Bridget. And in the end, listen, when she was hiding under her covers with like oh, two I calendars, know. like crossing things off to wear a bone pen, I was like, that's me. <laughs> I literally was watching this and I went, look at Kate. <laughs> ah, that warms my heart. <laughs> so in the end, Bridget has to recognize her worth outside of how Ginger views her and her relationship to Ginger. She has to give up the closest relationship she's ever had, make hard choices, and become her own person. So in combining these two threads, we have a werewolf story that explores escapist fantasies and societal pressures, as well as the fear we map onto teen girls' bodies and their experiences of that. Dang. So that's just a little bit of society. (laughs) Hot damn. That was a good one. Hey, thanks. I love... Oh, it's... 
It's so good. It's just so interesting because I wonder, and I thought about this, and I, I don't know if you agree, but do you think possibly Jennifer's body may have had a few little uh, nods to this film? Okay, so. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is there is one part that is shot for shot a moment from mm-hmm. Ginger Snaps in Jennifer's body, and I saw that moment in Ginger Snaps, and I went, oh. It was weird watching it backward. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because I was like, I think I 100% think Jennifer's body took some moments from Ginger Snaps to be Mm. like, I see what you did and I liked it kind of thing. Which moment are you thinking of? Uh, When she walks down the hallway. Yep. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, Jennifer in Jennifer's body, Jennifer has a moment where she is freshly demonized. Like she's like feasted. She's feeling good and she looks hot. And she walks down the hallway and she's basically strutting, knowing that everyone, like, is looking at her and she knows she looks good and she knows that, like, she has her pick of whoever she wants next. And there's a moment in Ginger Snaps where it's very much the same, where Ginger has, like, just started changing. She has just started to realize that she is desirable. And she walks down the hallway and she's nervous at first. And then it it just turns into that same moment that Jennifer had where she walks down the hallway knowing, I think everyone's looking at me and I'm okay with that. And uh, I'm going to rock this. And she does. And she just, you know, kills it. She walks down the hallway with the confidence and knowing that, like, I can do whatever I want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's an interview that I read. And I don't really talk much about this one interview Mm -hmm. because I wasn't, like, a huge fan of all the questions the interviewer asked. But essentially it was, like... You know, a lot of people have said that Jennifer's body feels like it was heavily inspired by this. Like, what are your thoughts? And uh, Karen Walton was like, you know, I have a lot of respect for Diablo Cody. I haven't seen Jennifer's body. The only thing I know is from angry Ginger Snaps fans telling me that Jennifer's body feels like a copy. But I respect Diablo Cody. I've never seen it. I won't comment on something that I haven't seen. And I would love to talk to Diablo Cody about anything that she found inspirational because I think that it's really exciting when we watch each other's work and get inspired. Yeah. And yeah. And that's why like people who are mad and think it's like a copy, I, I don't I don't see it as a copy at all. No. I think it was just like, you know, Karen Walton probably saw or not Karen Walton, sorry, Diablo Cody probably saw Ginger Snaps and was like, Yeah, like that's great. I wanna make more movies that sort like like basically explore the changes that like women go through yep. in the aspect of like being a monster and this and that. And they explore completely different things. Mm-hmm. Different like types of body, relationships. Exactly. Jennifer's body explores, like, the consequences of, like, rape, basically, and, like, the, you know, the things that, like, women have to go through, but equating it to, like, an attack, you know, like a sacrifice to the devil, basically, whereas this one is puberty. Yeah. Like, that's, I mean, it's different. It's a, you know, but they're both, like, coming-of-age tales. They're just a lot different. Yeah, for sure. But they do, you can totally tell that they have similarities but in a way that i just liked like i I was like oh that's cool i just noticed that but i'm not mad i would never be like you copied it like (laughs) no no but yeah i I saw that and i was like cool yeah i thought that was pretty cool um i read a Mm -hmm. lot of interviews with karen walton and karen just seems like a really dope person yeah like seems pretty cool everything i read about her i was like seems great i mean also you can tell that like the relationship is a little bit similar to um jennifer's body Mm. but it's also extremely different and the fact that these are sisters those are two friends like it's just different like you can tell it's inspired by it but it's not at all copying mm-hmm. there was a karen walton like comment that i wanted to pull out and i'm trying to remember what it was mm-hmm. there's this really interesting comment that or i guess just summary of how the movie came to be 
uh, in terms of mm-hmm. Fawcett and Walton. And she hadn't written like a full movie yet. She hadn't like actually written one that went to print or print. <laughs> I don't. It went to print, <laughs> baby. Uh, <laughs> pick up my book. Pick up my book. Anyway, um, my brain is just stuck in literature. I can't conceive of anything outside of it, apparently. <laughs> but Fawcett went to her and said, like, I have this idea. I want to do werewolves. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to do teenage girls. And she's like, that sounds really cool. I think you should do that. And he's like, I want you to write it. And she was like, nice, what? Nice. And she was not interested in writing horror because she didn't see women represented in a good way in horror. Right. She saw them abused like... and mistreated and used for, like, you know, the male gaze. And he was like, yeah, I want you to break all the rules. I want you to forget about the rules. I want you to create something that you would want to see. Yeah. And it was just really cool because, like, the way that they worked together seemed really good. It It was one of those, like... I don't want to say rare because it's not rare, but it was one of those like great, um, a breath of fresh air instance where you can watch a movie and just know, oh, a woman wrote this. Mm-hmm. Like I-, I knew as soon as it like kind of started and like there were a few moments and I went, yeah, yeah, yeah 100% a woman either wrote this or directed this. I hadn't looked up anything yet, but I was like, I, I just mm-hmm. know. And then, yeah, like I was like, yep, okay, that checks out. There were just so many moments where I was like, they captured what it's like to be a girl in high school so well and like how hard it is and they just did a really good job of blending that experience with making it a really good monster movie yep i mean i I genuinely watched it and was like this is a great monster movie i love this but then also i was like but also like dang this really takes me back to high school like there are moments where i'm like oh been there (laughs) yep and like yeah, I oh, I, I liked it a lot. Already <clears throat> identified pretty heavily with Bridget just because of like her not studious nature because she doesn't seem to give a shit about school in any like measurable way, but like the way that she right. approaches problems. And she was like, okay, I'm gonna get several calendars out, one for menstruation and one for the full moon, and I'm gonna track this. I'm gonna do research in the library. So I already identified with Bridget, but then I also saw her as like she's 15, almost 16. She should based on averages, have started her period at some point. Mm -hmm. And she's watching other people, quote unquote, grow up without her. And I was like, that was me. (laughs) I was a late bloomer. And so like watching all my friends like transition into this separate thing that I wasn't invited to yet, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because like watching it, I was like, I think Kate will probably associate with Bridget. Like I kind of felt that. I was like, I could see this. And I was like, and I do see myself in Ginger in a way that I was like, oh boy. And not just because we both have red hair. There are other things. Um, I, I wasn't like, and this is not to say that I was hot or cool in high school, because God, I fucking wasn't. But I also had absolutely no control. Like, I had no control over, like, what I did, my thoughts. I was just like, I'll do it, whatever. Like, if it popped into my head, I was doing it. I was very spontaneous to a fault. Um... Same with, like, anger. I was an angry high school kid. Like, if you made me mad, I would just do whatever felt right in that moment, and then the consequences came later. So watching it, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, oh, no. I I just, yeah. So everything that you felt for Bridget, I, I 100% felt for Ginger. I was watching it just so, like, a mirror Except she was like super hot and cool. Ugh. Not that she—I'm not saying like she's super hot. I just mean yeah. like she was portrayed to be like a super hot, cool girl, and I was like a fucking theater nerd. <laughs> so, yeah, I—I I was not a, a sweet, desirable, cool kid. I just um, was really funny. 
it's just you know uh, watching this and like hearing how much we can see ourselves in these characters is just evidence of the fact that a woman wrote this exactly and that's how i knew i mean watching it i was just like yeah they did a great job of showing ginger go back and forth between being so tough i don't need anybody nothing matters i'll do whatever i want to all of a sudden being like bridget i need you please i'm freaking out i can't do this myself please i'm Mm -hmm. so scared and i get it like you go through those moments you think you can take on the world until you know you can't and then all of a sudden you need that person that you've been leaning on forever yeah so (sighs) just good i mean yeah that was good nerd corner. It, it really is. hit on all the things that I had like thought about or caught on to, but you uh, articulated it quite well. Hey, thanks. I want to hear everything you have to say about uh, <laughs> lights and camera work. Yay! I'm so excited. Um, so this, I know I've said it already, but this was just such a breath of fresh air. Because uh, like after the fourth kind, where the lighting just meant nothing basically where like there was really no rhyme or reason why they did what they did with camera work and everything else it was just kind of like we'll throw it to the wall see what sticks um it was nice to see something that was very deliberate from the very beginning uh so the movie takes place in like suburbia basically just like you're kind of like cliche yeah small town kind of thing and it's very popular to portray suburbia in like very bright colors and like pastels because that's what a lot of places like kind of look like um and that's what they did and it's great it's um it's not necessarily pastels but it is very bright everything is very saturated from the very beginning um besides the sisters obviously mm-hmm. so they stick out in the way that they like don't want to like it's weird they spend their entire the entire movie being like don't look at me like i don't want to stand out i'm not part of this but they do stand out simply because the movie is so 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 colorful and they're always in like dark blacks and grays purples deep deep colors and everything else is this like blown out over saturated and over um exposed like light colors so it was just great it was great to see that and then, wait, okay, tell them the fact that you told me, because I thought this was super cool. Oh, about the giant light? <laughs> yes, I loved this. Yeah, so a fair number of scenes that were supposedly taking place in the daytime had to be shot at night. And they're like, well, we need the sun. And so they brought in this, like, massive light fixture. I don't remember, like, how many lumens or whatever it was, because numbers. Right. <laughs> but essentially, it was this massive light that lit up the scene like it was daytime. And apparently, it was viewable from, like, a mile up. <sighs> so flying over this, you could see that light. That's so cool. Like, when you told me that, I thought, like, mm-hmm. I wonder if the colors then weren't intentional. Like, the because the, it is overexposed <laughs> in a lot of parts. Like, um, the, there's always, like... Uh, we'll get to this in a minute, but there's always like a nice bright yellow in the scene. Um, I don't know if you notice that, but there's always a nice bright yellow and there's always like some deep greens and like really, really intense bright colors, but they're always a little overexposed. So they're always just like blown out to the point where it almost looks like an old timey like look to it, um, which it's not. This movie takes place like I think, in the modern day. Yeah, 2000. But it gives it this weird, classic, like, 1950s, um, what are those things called where you watch it and they're supposed to, like, teach you a lesson? Oh, I shit. 
what are they called? Like after school special? Yeah. So yes, yes. So the way it was shot and like some of the costumes at the high school specifically had this after school special feel, which I think was done almost to make them stand out even more as someone who like two sisters who would not listen to an after school special. And to them, that's what high school kind of was. Yeah. It was this like constant, here's what you should do. Let me show you the right way to do things like peachy, sweet and nice. So the overexposed light made it look like this weird 1950s special, unless you were looking at the sisters, and then they looked dark and scary and ominous. And I love that. So when you told me about the light, I was like, I wonder if it wasn't intentional and it just worked, Mm. or if they had to do that, and then they ran with it, and they said, like, if we have to have this light, we'll make it work. Um, So that was my take on the lighting, basically, was that it was just really cool. And then the camera work... I mean, it was great. I mean, they had a lot of really cool close-ups. They had a lot of really cool slow-mo motion, like, or motion scenes. Basically always with Ginger. But she has multiple. She has the one where she first steps into the high school knowing that, like, she's powerful now. And then she has the other one where she's fully, almost fully wolfed out at the Halloween party. Everyone thinks it's a costume. And she has another slow-mo walk. And this time... She's basically lost all control. So it was just really cool. Yeah, I loved that moment. But also, they used shaky camera effectively, unlike the fourth corn. <laughs> Which I will... I'll never forgive yeah. them! Kate! Oh my god, I was so mad. But they did this so effectively because they only used a shaky cam when they were being chased by like the wolf in the woods. Any moment where they wanted you to feel disoriented the way that the girls felt in that moment, or anybody that was on screen, that's when they use the shaky camera, which is when you should use a shaky camera. So that way, it is deliberate and not confusing. Okay. Give us a reason to like it instead of just making us feel seasick. Like, <laughs> See, I, yeah. listen, uh, I can't even say words right now, but essentially, at the beginning of watching this movie, I was like, okay, Kate, you're going to notice lighting and you're gonna notice cameras i noticed one light (laughs) i noticed that one scene was particularly orange and then i noticed that there is a weird camera angle when the girls are walking into the park it's like tilted yeah so it's like crooked yeah i that's all i noticed i like the rest of the time i was like oh there are cameras shit i should have been watching this i i'm so glad that you're here to explain all these things and point out the things that i was looking for and missed it's a blessing and a curse because then you just notice it forever and like the fourth kind you'll never let it go (laughs) so um they're on my list uh and then the other thing i noticed and this could be absolutely nothing but i it just stood out to me and i took it as this is that because they're in this like suburban area you're not gonna get too many like beautiful shots of like a full moon obviously in a movie you can but i'm just saying like in an area like that you're not gonna see the sky and it's not gonna be that clear pollution yeah you're not gonna get the classic howl at the moon full moon shot of any other werewolf kind of thing so if you notice in every single shot almost there's always an object or there's always something in the shot that is a very very bright yellow Hmm. so i took it to be like you can't see the moon but like here's this bright yellow object and it's always in a scene where like bridget is changing or bridget is yelling or losing control Almost to show, like, hey, maybe it's not a full moon, but, like, 
that's kind of a moon. Like, <laughs> that's really cool. It almost just felt like a moon stand-in. Like they were, they didn't have one, so they they wanted a way to give one. I don't know. That's just how I took it. It was always really bright yellow. I, I noticed it in so so many scenes. I love that. Um, and that's probably looking too deep into it, but I don't care. I I kept seeing it, and I was just like, ooh, look at that fake moon. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So that was pretty much what I got from lighting and camera work. It was just really great. As always, I like the colors. I think it's really nice when people can make characters stand out mm. simply by using, like, lighting. It's so much easier than, like, giving them outlandish costumes when they don't need it. Because if they had made them too gothic looking, you know, like, with, like, really intense makeup, it would have been, I think, too much. So they gave them very subtle costumes, but mm -hmm. because their color was so different than any other student, you weren't going to miss them no matter what. Mm -mm. So it was great. Yeah. And there's that scene where Ginger's wearing like the witch stripe leggings and like kitten mm -hmm. heels. I was like, okay. Right? <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Like they just gave them really cool, subtle costume mm -hmm. moments, which I always appreciate because like if you're going to go big, you got to do it well because you could really go too wild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. For sure. Yeah. Um, but none of that was necessarily horror, but I am ready for horror. Oh, boy. Because there, there was some good stuff. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, like, going through my notes, and I have my, like, general things that I thought about, like, you know, the seven types of conflict in literature and, like, mm -hmm. just weird trans people have noticed in werewolves. But then I was scrolling through my notes. <laughs> oh, boy. And I just see, in all caps, open backed stairs. I was right to fear them. <laughs> and it's because... <laughs> Bridget is walking down the stairs and she drops the vial of like cure and it falls behind the stairs because there is no back. I forgot about your open back stair fear. <laughs> wow, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. <clears throat> it's fine. It ended up being a benefit and, you know, it worked out in the end, I guess you could say, in that she did again find the syringe later. And then there were the benefits of an unfinished basement because she's just like crawling through a drywall and like, you oh, know. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Um, That was also a moment that had like, you know, the crazy lighting because it went from being this bright orange to like these deep blues and like it was hard to see and. That was great. What did you think about the scene where she's in the closet? And so essentially what's mm -hmm. happening in the scene is that, like, she and Sam go back to the house because they had taken Ginger in the trunk of his van or in the back of his van. Oh, yeah. And she gets out mm -hmm. and they're in the closet with, like, one syringe. And he's like, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to, like, distract her and I'm going to stab her in the throat with a syringe. And, like, that's the way this is going to work. And she doesn't like it, but she's like, no, this makes sense. He takes one step out of the closet and he's fucking toast. There's just like screams, blood, gore. And then like, I think in this part, you see her like try to open the closet door and then it's like, no, 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 not safe. And so then all you have is pure darkness and the sounds of breathing and distant gore. And I was just like, Ooh. no one can see it. But my eyes have widened the more you spoke because I was like, yes. Yes, you found a scene I very much enjoyed. <laughs> um, I loved it. I loved it because you don't have a moment to uh, react. You don't get that, ooh, jump scare. You don't get the fake out jump scare. You just get, he's gone. <laughs> the doctor's gone. Like, <laughs> say. <laughs> Sam's gone. I love it. It was just like, boom, gone. Like, it was just, you don't even have a moment to like, mourn this plan that went so bad because you're like oh 
fuck? <laughs> and then it's great because then you get a, one of the tropes we talked about. You get this mood whiplash of like, boom, action. Something's happening. This is crazy. All of a sudden you're like, okay, now we're just sitting in this darkness. And now we just have to experience and sit in this moment that just happened. And we can't even see it. So I loved it. <laughs> I thought that scene was great. I, I think if you can do really dark scenes very well, you should. You can utilize darkness. I feel like, you know, your movie doesn't have to have something happening every single moment. Utilize your sound. And they did. <laughs> it was great. I thought it was a bold move because I was like, this could yeah. immediately, like, it could take someone out of it. If they're like, well, nothing's happening. I'm not watching anything right now. But right. it reminds me of this podcast I was listening to that I highly recommend to anyone. It's called Limetown. Uh, and they use silence really well on Limetown. And I think oh. that's so rare in a podcast, like an audio drama, yeah. like sci-fi podcast to use silence just as well as you use noise. Right. And that's, and then that's exactly how it is with like movies and darkness and not being able to see is if you're going to do it, it has to come at the right moment. It has to be accompanied with either very intense like music or just like really, really immersive sound. Or if you want to do complete silence and like darkness, it has to happen after something that we need to sit in to like take it all in or right before something that's going to be very memorable. So that way, mm -hmm. like I said before, it means something like you can't just throw it in for no reason or else people are going to be like, what? Why? Like, why? Um, I OK, so I don't remember what movie this was. But we had a movie come out when I worked at, as a projectionist at a movie theater. And um, apparently it was a sci-fi movie. So it was very like loud and like it had a lot of moments of like, yeah, this is really, really loud. And it, because it took place in space, apparently there was a moment where somebody was in space or somebody was doing something. <laughs> and we kept getting complaints because that part is completely silent. Yeah. Um. Like, 100% silent. No music, no nothing, no breathing. Just silence. And people kept being like, the movie's broken. Your movie's broken. Like, something's not working. And we were like, no. And we, at first, we didn't know about the silence. We were like, oh, shit. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, we keep getting the same complaint. Thinking, is it our projector? Like, do we or a sound tower? Do we need to fix that? Like, what's going on? And then we get like a a note, a notice from the studio from the movie that just says, "You can go ahead and start placing this around the theater." And it just says, like, there will be ten seconds of silence in this film at this time. Oh my god! <laughs> Basically, just to be like, stop yelling at the projectionists. They cannot fix this. That's hilarious. <laughs> I wish I could remember what movie. And I'm sure that the scene was probably well done. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of unexpected. So I think people were like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and they kept thinking that we broke it. Because, like, that <laughs> sudden absence is jarring. And yes, exactly. You're just kind of, like, reeling, trying to figure out what happened. And some people realize it's an artistic choice. And then some folks are just like, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, sometimes, like, everyone's right. And it, it yeah. just wasn't done well. Absolutely. But then other times it's like, okay, I, maybe you just... You didn't know that it was. That's fair. Uh, there's a reason yeah. for it. And it's fair. It's valid. You know what? Not everyone likes the silent yeah. parts. I totally get it. If they're used well, they're some of my favorites. Mm -hmm. I love them. So yeah, I love that scene. Jarring, yeah. but in like a really yeah. good way. 
I'm just thinking, like, meanwhile, I'm gullible as shit, and I will believe that anything is intentional, even if it's a horrific mistake. I mean, like, yeah. When I was a kid at a drive-in theater, we were watching Atlantis, Ooh. and the film caught fire and melted. Oh, my and God. And so, like, in one of the scenes, it looks like honey so it, is just like, melting down yeah. the screen. And we're like, huh, I didn't anticipate that. And we just kind of waited. Oh and then there was an announcement, God. like, uh, the film melted, so we're done tonight. And Kelsey <laughs> and I were like, oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> As a projectionist, I'm very curious how many uh, of the, like, things got burned. Mm. I wonder if they had to cut it. And I wonder <laughs> if they, like, could even cut it. <laughs> I like when you have, I don't, it's very subtle. And sometimes it's very obvious. But you have movies where, like, they'll get cut or burned or something will happen. And you'll have to just clip those parts out and usually it's so fast you don't even notice but sometimes it's just like oh what the fuck <laughs> she'll be over there and then all of a sudden the character will be like over here and you're like oh where'd you come from <laughs> i have not seen it very often but it's very funny when it's um cut in a very bad place <laughs> that reminds me of fight club which i like yes. hate saying but like where he but it like, does dirt in or whatever like puts in those jump cuts of like pornography yeah. or something Wait, yeah, I, I, whenever I would like have to cut a piece out, I would always think about that scene and be like, "Gross!" Like, <laughs> ew. Um, yeah, it, it's so funny, but just seeing moments that are cut and you're like, "Oh, oh no." <laughs> um, speaking of what were we talking about, we were talking about the silences. We we're talking about the dark. I was gonna talk about something else, like another moment that was spooky and scared me. Oh, I was gonna talk about how you felt about the monster. Not monster, but, like, the werewolf itself. Because mm -hmm. I know we've talked a little bit about how seeing the monster in a movie too long or too soon can ruin it for you. Mm. And I wondered how you felt after you, like, fully see Ginger as, like, the wolf. So, for me, seeing the monster wasn't about, like, this buildup of suspense. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't know what it is. To me, the monster was, like, the acts that she's doing and the way that she's losing herself. Yeah. And so, to me, it wasn't like, okay, well, we don't know what this creature in the forest is that's doing stuff. And, like, while it was definitely interesting and, oh, my God, just, like, props to the makeup folks. Because there was no CGI yes. in this movie. It was all, like, practical stuff. Like, it was makeup and, like, props it's and good stuff. good shit. Yeah. So, like, incredible to them. She had to sit in the chair for, like, seven hours in a day sometimes Ugh. just for that. And it took forever to take it off. And, like, there's this funny story of, like, how her nose like prosthetic nose had to be like oh no put on in a way that her nose perpetually ran and so they had to like swab it with q-tips <laughs> <laughs> and she like couldn't see through the contacts because her oh eyes cut like her eye color changes anyway right but to me like the monster reveal wasn't first of all like a reveal because it's a mm -hmm. slow transformation where like first she has like wild nails right and then she has like a little tail nubbin that you see I in know, her sleeve a little tail a little fucking tail and then she has like, her eyes kind of get brighter, and then, like, when her belly button's pierced, you see her have fangs. Mm -hmm. And so there's that slow transformation, but to me, it was really, like, the devolving of her relationships. Yeah. That were already not super strong. The only one she had was Bridget. Right. But it's just, like, seeing her devolve and lose touch with herself and what mattered to her and become just, like, primal instincts. Like, I fucking hate my sister sometimes, but if anyone touches her, I will end them, literally and figuratively. Right. Um, And so to me, it wasn't, like... You know, I this movie t like was filmed 20 years ago and it wasn't CGI. And so I was like, eh, that werewolf looks cheesy as shit. But I don't think it was supposed to look realistic. I think it was right. supposed to be what it was. And I appreciated it. 
Yeah, I agree with everything you said because I felt the same way. I was like, the scary part isn't her as the wolf. It's mm-hmm. watching her go through it. Yep. So it doesn't matter what she looked like in the end. Mm-hmm. I don't care that the wolf looked kind of cheesy. I was like, yeah, but I already got to see like how hard it was for her to get to that point. Mm-hmm. That was the scariest part. And also, let me just say, the makeup when she is like almost full wolf at that party is fucking dope. It's rad. With the, like, I love that her hair got like streaks slowly more and more because mm-hmm. I was like, that's amazing. And then she's got that full white hair, really subtle wolf features mm-hmm. so that people keep saying like, love your costume. And it's just so yeah. cool. It was so subtle. So great. She looked really cool. And I've that was just such an interesting take on wolf, like werewolf. Like it was just neat. It, they gave us the slow transformation instead of that really dramatic one that you get in most movies. And there's a lot of movies that are praised for those and should be because mm-hmm. like they're really cool um people have done them in so many different ways like there's a lot that are practical effects that are beautiful but i loved sorry i had to burp i had a lot of lacroix (laughs) um but i loved that you just saw it happen really really slow because it makes it all the more suspenseful and it doesn't upset you and you do see the wolf because you're like whatever i already saw everything that's really spooky (laughs) and there's this trope called our werewolves are different and that's like a trope that's kind of expansive because it's like our vampires are different our werecats Mm -hmm. are different whatever so i don't really go into depth in this trope later because it is kind of like what you see on the face of it but these this expression of the werewolf is different in that it's a slow progression in which there is no turning back once she becomes full wolfish there is no going back to humanity Mm -hmm. right and in other wolf iterations so like in Harry Potter, Lupin changes on the full moon. Yeah. Um, and that's like a really typical exploration of werewolf where it's like they're human during the month and then on the full moon, they're like, they have to change. It is a compulsion. They cannot like stop it. Right. And then there are some where like they can change off the full moon, but it like becomes this monstrosity or this like aberration. I think mm-hmm. that's like Hemlock Grove. Right. So like there are yeah. like, every person does werewolf differently. Right. Twilight did it very differently. <laughs> I was about to bring up Twilight and then I was like, I don't want to get dragged, but I fucking nah. love Twilight. All right, guys? Come for me. I don't care. <laughs> Listen, I'll good put it shit. on a line about as much as you for a different thing. Like I read Harry Potter. I loved Harry Potter. JK Rowling sucks. She's transphobic. She sucks. She sucks. But you know who else sucks? Stephanie Meyer. Stephanie Meyer fucking sucks. Oh, God. Stephanie Meyer sucks so hard. listen, those Twilight movies are cheesy as hell. And yeah, I love them. (laughs) I don't care. Movie night soon. You know what? Listen, I know it's not Mm. technically a horror movie, but nothing is scarier than that Twilight CGI baby. I have a video of it on my phone, and I can't get rid of it because it haunts me. Every time I'm just like, I gotta see it. Did it really look like that? And then it did. Maybe mm-hmm. one of these days we'll do a special episode where we just cover Twilight. <laughs> Listen, uh, subscribe? Nope. Pledge on Patreon. We'll do it. Pledge on Patreon. Maybe we'll replace the horrific $200 thing that we currently have and replace it with something we like better. We'll just watch all of the Twilight movies and uh-huh. do full commentary of them for straight, however long they are, all yep. together. We'll, we'll, even, we'll even watch the one that's basically just a a movie about sex and then she gets she dies i mean listen (laughs) if you haven't seen twilight i'm sure i've summed it up terribly for you i read it (laughs) i know it's supposed to happen 
That movie was made for horny moms. I'll say it. They were like, listen, we got all these other movies for the teens. We got to make something for the horny moms that keep coming to these movies. And boy, did they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> boy, they. And it's funny because you mentioned that. I was like, no, no, no. The horny moms like Fifty Shades. I was like, oh, wait. Fifty Shades it's was based, based on of a Twilight fanfic. <laughs> we got so off topic. But yeah, listen, I, if you bring up Twilight. Well, it's all a different type of horror. Yeah, it is. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that CGI yeah. baby is up there and one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, bad CGI. There you go. Like, yeah. like, I know we said that this werewolf of cheesy was cheesy, but overly CGI things are just as cheesy, if not horrible looking. Like. I would rather see a cheesy practical effect any day than, like, a CGI monster. I just think it's not good. Yeah, I'm the same. You can do it well. Like, I'm not going to say it's always bad. It's not. CGI things can be really amazing. There's just moments where it can really just take you out of it. You're just like, oh, okay, hold on, what? (laughs) Yeah, I think I'd definitely rather see, like, you know, a practical effect that was done fairly cheaply because the budget's low than see CGI that's just real cheesy as shit. And it's not, like, can't be on purpose. It's just not good. Like, I would rather see practical effects that are bad than CGI that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it just, I mean, practical effects have, you know, a lot of craft in them that's really cool. And so do, like, so does CGI. So, like... I get it. They're both not easy. No. But I would just rather see yes. a practical effect monster than a CGI yes. one. That's all. Um, yeah. And then also, mm-hmm. to continue horror, I-, I liked the amount of gore. Yeah. Um, Much like, not to compare them again, but much like Jennifer's body, mm. it was good because it wasn't too much. You know, there were moments where it was kind of hidden or they would cut away at just the right time. You see a lot of blood, but you kind of just see it on Ginger and not, like, happening as much. You do sometimes, but I don't know. I was just, like, I respect a movie that does gore well and not to an extreme. Or if they do it to an extreme, but it's, like, campy. Like, that's great. So, yeah, I liked that a lot. All in all, I I, I don't have a, a ton of, of things in my qualms book for this one, really. No, I think my only qualms are really just, like... It's not actually a qualm with the movie. It's just like watching, we're like, oh, that sucks to hear. Yeah. And it's intentional. Like, there were a few things where it's like, oh, you shouldn't have said that gay slur. <laughs> uh, exactly. But that's a legit qualm. But, like, the other things are, like, when um, Bridget and Ginger are talking shit about other people in the school. Yeah. It's, like, so much internalized misogyny, and it's coming out. And so it's, like, they are the protagonists, primarily Bridget. Right. But they also have been impacted so heavily by patriarchy and by these concepts of, like, Mm -hmm. the value of virginity, whatever, and, like, how, like, what's the word I'm looking for? We talked about it previously, how, like, we're trained, like, socialized in a society if you're raised. Oh, to compete, um, like, against women? Yeah. And so, like, when Trina Mm -hmm. and Ginger have their thing, a lot of it's because, like, Trina's jealous, Ginger's jealous, and then, like, Trina's jealous because Sam is paying attention to Bridget. Right. And so it's, like, you can see so clearly just how internalized misogyny can fucking wreck you. And so I don't think it's actually supposed to be saying, like, oh, these girls are the heroes, they're right about everything they say, but it's, like, no, like, they're the protagonists, and they're also greatly impacted by the toxicity in the culture yeah and i thought like it's a qualm not with a movie but it's just like oh man it really sucks when like your female lead is like talking shit about another woman but again that's intentional yeah and i think i don't think they were supposed to be all that likable no and like so they're not perfect (laughs) right so like 
while yeah like hearing that sucked like and mm-hmm. and same with like the Gaslers, i was like okay like this movie didn't need it you know it, just like jennifer's body with those other things it didn't need it you mm-hmm. could have showed that they were shitty in a different way yep um so yeah i it was hard because that part felt very like i don't want to hear this but also that is accurate to how yep. like girls are trained to be to each other yep so it was like while i don't like this and i don't find these characters super likable in this moment i I get it that's how women are trained to act and it's hard to break that so and i'm not saying this is like oh i am evolved and i never did that no i did that i did like i was shitty in that exact same way and like watching it's like yep this is realistic to how i was raised to view things and it sucks (laughs) it sucks like, yeah. I'm happy to not be there anymore, mm-hmm. but it is hard when you watch something and you're like, oh, yep, okay, I've been there. It's yep. it's shitty. What we're saying is the real horror is the patriarchy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the real horror yep. of this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things I liked so much about this movie was the way that they, like, I think appropriately used mood whiplash or just, like, wry commentary mm-hmm. at some points. And so two of the moments for me, like one of them's not mood whiplash at all, but I fucking loved it. It's the constellation cake slice. So when Ginger yes! starts her period, she gets this big cake with Ginger's strawberry drizzle. Favorite. And it's just fucking ridiculous because it's strawberry syrup. And it's like, okay, well, that's menstrual blood. Cool. Yeah. And like Bridget's just kind of sitting there like, uh, and like, Ginger hates it. And the mom's just like, you're a woman now. And then. Bridget, a few days later, is, like, all sad and lonely, and Bridget, like, their mom, Pamela, comes up with one slice of Ginger's cake. One slice? (laughs) It's like the consolation slice. (laughs) Dude, can we, now that we've talked about it and brought it up, can we just talk about how great the mom is in this movie? I, oh my god. Dude, that mom is- Her little pumpkin earrings. (laughs) That is a ride-or-die mom right there. Yeah. The fact that she- Oh boy, we'll talk about that so shitty to her and she's just like all right and she's like kind of tells him what to do but the moment where bridget is like she thinks it's really cool that you let us handle things on our own and the mom goes she does like she's like i was really hoping that approach was working i was really (laughs) watching the mom's face light up even though she's very blatantly being fucking Uh lied to it's one of the funniest things because she's just like oh oh great (laughs) I'll let you get back to your murder. Like I love the mom's character so much. And this is like this does I actually lead her. into one of the tropes that I'll talk about later. Ooh. But like all of the adults, like specifically the adult women, were like this overly cheerful, mm-hmm. like out of touch. And to me, that was like this is how teenagers see them because we're all yeah. like weighed down by angst and changing hormones and shit. And so adults that seem reasonably well adjusted to society seem overly cheerful and unrealistic and out of touch and so to me it was like okay so this is like the disconnect between how they don't understand each other but also it's just fucking hilarious to see pamela come out with like a strawberry cake (laughs) she just i love that mom i love her i just i also love the moment where Bridget is like, yeah, my back hurts. And she's just like, and she jumps uh-huh. and she's like, does it hurt on your lower back? Does it hurt right here? Could it be? <gasps> she's so excited mm-hmm. at the thought of this being her period. Mm-hmm. And it just like oh, cracks Pamela. me up. And then the dad, the dad barely <sighs> speaks the entire time, but all he says is like, we're eating, stop. Yep. Like, <laughs> it was the parents 
parents are great. I I love them. That mom. Uh, and then, okay, so moving past Pamela for a moment. We'll come back to Pamela because she's worth a it. A moment. We'll come back so to Pamela. So when Trina, Bridget, and Ginger are in the kitchen, and Ginger has Trina, like, in a headlock, and Bridget's like, calm down, calm mm-hmm. down. And Ginger is like, she fucked with my sister, and she's just slapping her forehead with her hand. <laughs> I laughed so hard. She's, She's like, just smack, hitting smack, her smack, and smack. she goes, stop it. Stop it. It was such a teen bullshit thing to do. Like, if you had someone in a headlock, if she had just killed her right there, I would have been like, overkill. But mm-hmm. her just smacking her, I was like, mm-hmm. what a brat. It was one of those brat moves. I, I just fucking so lost hard. it. I was cackling. Because she was like, it was just such a teen, like, it brought you... It, like, took you out of the, like, oh, she's a wolf. She could kill her any minute. To all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, she's just a mean little teen. (laughs) Such a little brat. Like, and Bridget's like, stop. She's just a little shithead. They are such little shitheads. Um, Speaking of cool moments, though, Mm, uh, because this is really close to that moment, is where she she slaps her on the forehead Mm -hmm. a few times, but then she does accidentally kill her. But it's funny. I love that she... I don't love. This sounds horrible. But I love that she dies in a way that wasn't even caused by Bridget being a wolf. Nope. It wasn't, wasn't like her nail. She bit her. It wasn't anything like that. She literally just like slips in blood and hits her head and dies. And it was just such mm-hmm. a they really just they got you. They they yep. they got us. They did. Um they sure did. But the moment where okay, so they the way that they convince their family that like they haven't committed a murder is um oh my god by staging one of their fake deaths which is a great way to tie in the credits mm-hmm. it's really cool i love that they kept bringing that back um so they stage one of their fake deaths so there's blood everywhere and then the dad comes in the mom comes in they see it and they're like oh it's just from the death no more death in the house she, girls no more death in the house pamela you ride or die i love you uh. but there's a moment where bridget has blood on her fingers and she goes just corn syrup see and she holds it up to her dad and she mm-hmm. goes want some and the dad obviously isn't gonna do it but just the fact that like she holds it there for a long time being like, I fucking dare you. She mm-hmm. has this look in her eye like, I'd love it if you did. Mm-hmm. And it's that feral moment where you're like, oh, God, she is scary. Mm-hmm. They give you this teeny moment. And that one was so creepy because you see her like just smiling mm-hmm. and she doesn't stop smiling. There's no fear. She doesn't stop smiling. There's no fear in her eyes. She does not give a shit if her dad did try it. She's like, go ahead. I don't care. And Bridget is like, what the fuck like i loved that moment i thought that was so well done because it really creeped me out and then coming on the heels of that after they Mm -hmm. stashed trina's body in the deep freeze in the basement and the mom is like going Mm -hmm. down to put meat in and bridget runs downstairs trying to intercept her and she's like tell me what guys want and pamela is like over fucking joy she just like tosses meat onto the body of trina not (laughs) noticing it and then you like cut to trauma cookies and milk where Bridget and Ginger and Bush are like, I wish we weren't here. <laughs> I, I laugh again so hard. But she's like, what do you guys like? And Pamela's like, it's, it's my, my time, time to shine. <laughs> I was born for this. Oh, Pamela. Oh, my God. My heart goes out to Pamela. Oh, it cracked me up. And so, like, you have these moments of like absolute horror like she's licking blood off her fingers in front of her parents and then like there's a body in the deep fridge or deep freeze that has not been there very long and then there's like that humor of having the talk with your mom with milk and cookies it's like i just i love the way that humor was used yeah it Mm -hmm. wasn't overdone 
it didn't take me out of the horror at all. It really just added to it because it's it's mm-hmm. the mood whiplash. I mean, it gave you that perfect like, oh, that was creepy. Oh, wait, are they eating cookies? Hold on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was just great. It, it really painted this picture of a normal suburban family going through something where most of the family has no fucking idea. <laughs> and it's very good. I, I really liked it. Does that mean we could talk about the moment with Pamela that I love? Yes. In the car? Yes. Okay. Oh my god, that moment. This is my favorite Pamela moment. This is just uh, our Pamela fan corner. Um, mm, yeah. There's a moment where they the fingers of Trina? That's her name, right? Trina. Trina's fingers mm-hmm. fall off because they're frozen, right? And the mom- well, she like stabs him with a screwdriver while she's trying to chip the ice off. So her fingers come off and they don't pick them up. The mom- the dad, I think, actually finds them and goes, oh, my God, grouse. And Pamela goes, oh, calm down. It's for their death project. Puts them in the container. And then how does she find out they're real? Do you remember? So she has the, like, Tupperware fingers. And she's, like, putting them in the Tupperware. And she's just kind of, like, holding them. And, like, you see that she's, like, skeptical. And then yeah. later she goes out into the shed and she digs up the body. That's it. Okay. I couldn't remember if she found the whole body or what but yeah so she finds the body she makes the connection bridget is freaking out she's running down the road and pamela just pulls up and goes get in the car nice and calm just goes come on get in and then she's like i found your secret what does she say she says something really like hands over the tupperware fingers (laughs) that's it she hands her the fingers and just goes Mm -hmm. oh okay no one can see my face but i've done a side eye she does a nice side eye to bridget and it was just the most mom way to be like, I, I found your murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. what have you done? It's like you snuck out after dark. You committed a murder. <sighs> We've all been there. And that's how she treats it. She's like, oh, I get it. She drives her to this Halloween party to basically find Ginger and be like, let's get her in the car. And she literally just goes, why don't we just start over? I could burn down the house. She's like, you know, I'll turn the gas on and I'll just throw a match. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what about dad? And I totally expected Pamela to be like, if he's in the house, I no she problem. Was like, but she's like, that's what I thought. I was like, she's going to kill that man. She was just like, you know, he just blamed me and said, it's all my fault. And Bridget's like, it's it's not your Everyone fault. Everyone does. She's like, no, it is my fault. And Bridget's like, cool, I'm going to go to this party now. <laughs> yeah. It's so sad because it's not really Pamela's fault. She's just, it's not. you know, it's not. But it. <laughs> It was just, that's why I keep calling her my ride or die, because she was like, listen, you've committed a murder. Let's burn down the house. Mm-hmm. But she says it. Yeah. She's like, we're going to yeah. cover it, and we're going to get but out of town. she says it. And we're going to start like over. Like a suburban mom, where she's like, mm-hmm. it's okay. Like, <laughs> it's like she's organizing, like, soccer carpooling, yes. you know? And it's it's so good. I, I just, I could not wait to bring that up. I was like, come on. I love Pamela. Everything about Pamela. Just, oh my God, I loved it. I love it. Like, her. she comes in with flowers and she's just like so cheerful. And then both of her morbid daughters are just like, we hate you. <laughs> Literally, they're just like, eh, we hate mom. And she's just like, who wants cake? And they call her Pamela. They're like, they call I'll tell Pamela. Pamela. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel oh, like Pamela. this actually like segues into one of the tropes I had, if okay, you're good. ready for that. I'm so ready for tropes. Okay. So this one is called Adults Are Useless. Okay. <laughs> and this one wasn't actually listed in this movie, but I think there's something to be said for it. So yeah. the adult obliviousness is played up in a lot of ways. Like the school nurse, mm-hmm. when she mm-hmm. tells the sisters very true things about periods, right. even though Ginger is actually dealing with lycanthropy. 
And she's like, uh-huh, hair in strange places, that's a thing. She's like, it's all part of the deal. I, the nurse was great. I loved her. And she just, like, smiles. She's like, you'll need protection. And she just gives them both condoms. And it's just like this. Once you're done with this, yep. I have something to say about the blood because I laughed really hard at this period part. But I had something in my head about it that was really funny. Okay, I do want to come back to I'm so excited. Because I'll forget. <laughs> so then, like, the mother Pamela wants everything to be reduced to puberty, typical girlhood issues, boy troubles. Like, that's her realm of understanding. And, of course, like, she could never be prepared for her daughter being a teenage werewolf. Right. But, like, what she wants to do is tell them about, like, the mysteries of womanhood. <laughs> and then there's just, like, as I mentioned, that overly cheerful nature about them. And so, like, the teens are world-weary and the adults are either clueless or just part of the problem. But then the trope turns into open-minded parent. When the mom yeah! finds the fingers and realizes the girls have killed someone. So instead of grounding them or turning them in, she's a ride or die. She picks Bridget up in the minivan, hands her the Tupperware fingers, and said, we'll cover up your murder, burn the house down, dip. I feel like Pamela was ready for those two to commit murder her whole life. She was like, mm-hmm. you two spooky ladies are going to murder someone, and I'm ready. <laughs> my spooky little basement daughters. You're, who's my spooky girls? My spooky girls. <laughs> I want to be one of Pamela's spooky girls. I would love to I be love a Pamela's spooky girl. It'll be you, me, Pamela, and Angie. Yes. Oh, Angie. She's doing great, everybody. She's doing great. Yeah. Okay, your oh thing. My God. Oh, it was really simple, but it was just that moment where she's um talking about periods, and mm-hmm. she's talking about what the blood will be like at stages of your period mm-hmm. and stuff. I thought it was funny because the girls are sort of reacting in like a, ugh, gross. And I'm like, you... You murdered like a dog. Like you, you, you've eaten blood. Mm-hmm. But it's that cliche, like ew, periods are gross. Mm-hmm. But all the blood that they're describing is something that's gonna happen to Bridget later on when they're like, not Bridget. Well, also Bridget yeah. when they're like eating blood and like it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. But a period, God forbid, we describe a period, ew, gross. And it's just funny. It was like. That's great. Because <laughs> it's it's always a, you're, don't Amazing. talk about your period. That's so controversial and gross. And I'm like, why is it controversial? Like, who gives a fuck? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was all I wanted to say. I just liked that part with the nurse a lot. I did love that moment. That's good. Um, you mentioned the dog, and this ties into another trope. Oh, boy. A good old bait and switch. So, <laughs> Ginger comes back from her, yes. quote, unquote, date with Jason, I think his name was? Something. <laughs> and so, she... Like, comes back to the house, and you see, like, Bridget wake up. Well, basically, you see Ginger in the back of a car with him after saying, like, let's go somewhere. And what happens is not good. Like, it's not consensual. Like, she does not honor his boundaries. No. And, like, to be clear, he's a total shithead, but Mm -hmm. no one deserves that. So it's not like, well, he deserves it. He doesn't. No. No. Nobody does. Uh, But they do, like... She, like, dives in. He tries to, like, reassert the patriarchy by saying, like, who's the dude here? And she's like, fuck you, though. And so what it looks like is that she eats his stomach because, like, she dives in and then, like, it cuts. And then you have her standing over Bridget covered in blood. And so this entire scene, she's like, I did it, like, blah, blah, blah. I thought I was hungry for sex, but it turns out that I was hungry for something else. Yeah. And Bridget's like, where is he? And she's like, next door. And so then they go out and Bridget climbs the fence. She's like... You killed Norman. <laughs> and, I, and I love it because, like, you're meant to remember who Norman is. Mm-hmm. But if you forget, it's even better mm-hmm. because then you're like, wait, oh, my God, who's Norman? And then you're like, oh, my God, it's that dog. It's a little dog. <laughs> and I, 
Oh my god, I love that. To be clear, the dog death really bums me out like heavy. Yeah, but it does. that bait and switch moment was really well done. It was. It was great too because uh you you do see her like start to kind of like attack uh, the boy mm-hmm. the, the you know the man mm-hmm. um so you assume yeah like she probably attacked him but then when she comes into the bedroom and bridget is like what's wrong what happened she's like she's silhouetted so she kind of just looks like a dark figure mm-hmm. you can't really see blood you can't really see anything so you're like well maybe she didn't kill him at all maybe she just like hurt him maybe whatever so they give us, like, two kind of baits, but you were like, what happened? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, obviously, Bridget goes to touch her, and her hand comes back all bloody, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> but it was Norman. Sweet Norman. Oh, poor baby Norman. And, like, it I was know. truly heartbreaking, like, when it the was... son finds her the next day. Like, that really gave me I a know. sad. The movie is very heavy on the dog it's death. very heavy on the dog death. Yeah. Ugh. That part's tough. Yeah. <laughs> um... Still a good movie, you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not Still gonna. A good movie. I'm not gonna put it in my qualms, but no, and no animals were harmed in the filming. Of right. It, unlike other movies that do actually harm animals or have historically harmed animals. Fuck those. Which movies. we will not be covering. We will not. And if no. we accidentally do, fucking tell us, and we'll oh, burn that movie God, to the ground. Yeah. Yes. I don't know how we'll burn a movie to the ground, but I'll do it. I was gonna it. say it's totally possible to burn a concept to the ground. I'll do it. I've do it done it before and I'll don't. do it again. I've not done it before. I don't know. <laughs> I've not done it before. I don't know how Please to do help. it. We'll figure know. it out. <laughs> we'll get there. So we talked about this a little bit before, but there's also the berserk button. And so <laughs> it's basically like Ginger's berserk button is anyone fucking harming Bridget or if she perceives someone as slighting or harming or being inappropriate towards Bridget, she just loses it. She kills them right or she smacks their forehead until they da, end da, up da, falling da. on like spoiled milk or something and hitting <laughs> yeah. them and dying it was literally just yogurt mm-hmm. and then like god this one made me so sad the janitor who literally did I know. nothing wrong and was like a character of color yeah and I she know. murders him because she's like oh like i like little girls like she's projecting like this yeah. predatory nature onto a custodian that did nothing wrong yeah i mean she she like mentions not liking that custodian in the beginning too that's not the first time that she mentions him so it sucked i'm like i'm glad for the storytelling that like it wasn't just random like they did mention it earlier in the movie but in the same time it was just like that was like your only character of like color and you killed them Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh uh, yeah so but another big old bummer Another big old bummer. But that is, like, evidence of, like, her soft spot is Bridget. Even right. if she fucking hates Bridget, if someone threatens Bridget, that's my younger sister, and I'm going to kill them. You can see it get worse, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it starts with, like, genuinely people are making fun of Bridget, so she yeah. attacks them. Then it then it's, like, people who have made fun of Bridget or that she, like, is worried will hurt Bridget. Then it's just anyone that she even thinks looked at her the wrong way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they did or didn't. Yep. She's going to take care of them. So it progresses and just gets worse and worse. And then another trope that we have is just, you know, two good old staples, uh, body horror. Right. So that's like the mutation and the transformation to a werewolf. And then bloody horror, which I think is, it's a staple in horror films and it's very versatile. Mm-hmm. So the blood can be coming from somewhere it normally wouldn't be, right. like eyeballs Gross. walls or like other Elevators, the shining. And be like this, <laughs> and like it's that like supernatural, like mm-hmm. wild thing. It can also be used to, like, build suspense as someone follows a bloody trail down to the basement. Right. Or it can be a character pissing blood into a urinal. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. That part was... It was, uh, like, 
clear something was amiss, but then he peed blood, and you're like, yep, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I like how you're like, ooh, he's kind of sick. And you're like, oh, he's sick. He's sick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yuck. He's not doing well. <laughs> okay, speaking of that, though, mm-hmm. I love that we got just like a little taste of It Follows. <laughs> mm, yes. Because, <laughs> um, like, that's another thing that, like, it never happens in werewolf movies is the it's transmitted sexually mm-hmm. like she has unprotected sex with this boy and now all of a sudden he's a werewolf i did not see that coming mm-hmm. at all i thought he was just sick just because i was like oh he's probably gonna die mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he's got like fangs and i'm like what he's yep. a werewolf yep I, that was a neat twist <laughs> i thought it was gonna be like one of those things like Either only the host can actually, like, have this mutation in the way that right. she becomes a werewolf and anyone else just fucking kicks it because of it. Or, like, mm-hmm. only women can be werewolves, you know, like this Right. Thing. But, no, he, like, started fucking turning. <laughs> nope. And then he just more so embodied toxic masculinity, like, more than before. Right. Because <laughs> he was already showing Even worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie did a lot of things that were completely, like, you know how you said in the beginning, like, I want you to break the rules, and they did. Mm-hmm. And it's a very self-aware movie, because there is a part where he, uh, Sam, says, like, uh, that werewolf that came out of the woods, I hit it with my car, and that seemed to do a number on it. Mm-hmm. He said, we're not dealing with Hollywood rules, mm-hmm. so we don't need Hollywood cures. And I love that part, because I was like, oh my god, they're not. That's mm-hmm. totally true. Any other werewolf would have just gotten up and walked away and if you hit it with your car but yeah and like the silver bullet thing they were like yeah no that's like not gonna work they give her a silver belly button ring and then she just rips it out like two days later and she's like it doesn't work like, like they're fucking gazebos they're gazebos <laughs> <laughs> that line will never not be funny i love it with all my heart um so yeah i love that i love that it was very self-aware it was like yeah we're breaking the rules and we know it we don't care so that okay so first of all that does like coincide with that our werewolves look different but it also oh yeah uh hits a, a very strange trope that i had never heard of before Ooh, it's called the chunky salsa rule okay <laughs> I, I had no idea what it would be was Spoiling not gorgeous ah. shit <laughs> so Ew. technically chunky salsa rule is a gaming trope not a movie trope oh but It could be argued that a version of this trope appears in this film. When the original werewolf gets hit by the van and dies, no silver in sight. So how does this factor into Chunky Salsa? So it's the logic that anything that reduces a character's head to the consistency of Chunky Salsa kills that character regardless of any (laughs) external rules. So if you blow up a vampire head, it is dead without a stake to the heart. to move away from the- I'm still laughing hold on okay hold on I think I'm good hold on that one really got me because you could have said anything and I wasn't ready for the for it to be like anything that reduces their head mm-hmm. ew isn't that just wild oh my god I can't tell if I'm crying because I'm laughing, really sweaty, or both. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh man! So yeah. Oh my god! That's kind of that's like a good trope. there's no external rule here. <laughs> so usually it's talking about like hit point maximums and like you right. need a special tool to like kill whatever. But no, it's like if you blow up their head, they're fucking done. <laughs> oh god! It looks like chunky salsa. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. Mm-hmm. What's even worse is how bad I want salsa now. <laughs> oh, I would really love some salsa. I want some like 
nope, not pineapple. Mm, mango? Yeah, no, pineapple. Pineapple oh. and mango. Yeah, I want pineapple and mango salsa. I, oh. There's also like a mango habanero. Ooh, this shouldn't make me hungry, Sounds but good. I do want that salsa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm disgusting. <laughs> eh, we both are. <laughs> We're in good company. So moving past chunky salsa. If we can. Next in the list, if we can. There's just the good old Chekhov's gun, which is, I think, has been in every like film. I that think we so. It's I just mean, so common for the most like, part. It's a storytelling, you know, function. So right. the knife we see in the early scene with her wrist when she's like, you know, whatever. Like some people cut their wrist. Like I'm gonna cut my fucking throat. Right. And then you see that knife again when she tries to cut off her tail, and Bridget like stuffs it into the oh, um, yeah. dresser, and then mm-hmm. later when. It's her and Ginger in the bedroom. That's the knife that, like, Ginger falls on mm-hmm. when she tries to attack Bridget. So that's good old Chekhov's gun. And we also have coming-of-age story. Classic premise, exactly what it sounds like. Right. The story marks a transition from childhood to adulthood, usually through some trying circumstances. There are a lot of tropes and motifs common in coming-of-age stories. And Ginger Snaps includes... <laughs> Ginger Snaps. First, experimentation with drugs and or alcohol. Sex mm-hmm. is a rite of passage, which is played with here. Mm-hmm. Realizing your parents are people. Realizing or receiving the talk. Learning some women's mysteries. First experience with grief or loss and loss of innocence. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, this is my favorite. I just love it so much. It's the eponymous title. Oh. So this trope is a play on the word eponymous. And eponymous is like the title is the main character. Yeah. And so it's a subtrope of character title and pun based title. So it's a combination of the two. Right. And so here it's Ginger's name and a pun. It's a triple entendre. So it's uh-uh. Ginger Snaps is a cookie. It could be Ginger Snaps, like Ginger lost it. And also the snapping of teeth. Ginger snapped her teeth. <laughs> so it's an eponymous title. I got it all. I really mm-hmm. want a ginger snap right now, though. I really want a ginger snap. Here's just a fun fun little story for everybody. Oh, I tried. I got home early today, and I was like, I'm going to make ginger snaps for this episode, and I'm going to eat them, and it's going to be great. And I started to make them, and then I got, I had an appointment, and the guy, the person came and said, "You have a gas leak." Oh my god! Worst <laughs> I was day. In the, I in the worst. I was just like in the middle of making like these fucking ginger snap cookies, and they were like, "Hi, you have a gas leak. You can evacuate if you want." And I was like, "Oh my god!" If you want, they were like, "Totally up to you." And they fixed it. It wasn't like a dangerous gas leak or anything, but it was just funny that I was just like, "Great!" And here's the worst part: is I never made the cookies, so the flour oh. and the cardamom and all the ginger is just sitting in a bowl on my counter, and I was like. I'll get to you, Ginger Snaps. Just you wait. Just you wait. I'm going to make them. I'm going to make them. And I'm going to take a beautiful photo of them. And I'm going to put them on our Twitter. I don't care. It's happening. I'm excited. One of these days. Maybe I'll get some cookies. They're vegan, Kate. (gasps) Hell yeah. They're for you. Yeah. We have editing cookies to look forward to. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Moving on from eponymous title. Uh, because if I keep thinking of ginger snap cookies, I'm just not going to be able to keep going. I know, like, no, I know. I'm, I shouldn't have even brought them up because now we're stuck. <laughs> we have an evil detecting dog. So it's just the idea that dogs can tell when something's not right about you. And in this case, dogs start barking at ginger all the time. And she kicks a dog because it starts barking at her. And she's like freaked out and upset and also probably a little high because she just started trying yeah. drugs. And she like yeah. kicks the dog. And everyone's like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, you can tell she has a moment of losing mm-hmm. control. Like, it's almost, like, not her. Mm-hmm. 
Because she thinks about it for a really long time and she just stares at the dog and then kicks it. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, God, what the fuck? Uh, and then yeah. for Halloween, I am going as myself. <laughs> and that's, yeah. So it's, <laughs> yo, so it's used a lot uh, when someone, like, looks monstrous in, like, you know, the way that society deems monstrousness. And so, like, right. Halloween is the only time when they can be out. It's also, like, played with a lot. So, like, in Hocus Pocus, the Sanderson sisters, yeah. I was just about to say, yep. yeah. That's I love that moment. And there's horror doesn't settle for Simple Tuesday. And it's basically the idea that a lot of horror films take place on like monumental days or like special days. Right. So like Christmas, because it's mm-hmm. that juxtaposition of like oh, yeah. childish joy and horror and like axes. But in this case, <laughs> uh it takes place over the month of October with the climax occurring on Halloween night. Right. Uh and then Jerkass has a point. So Trina in the kitchen with the knife. Yep, yep, yep. They planned to kidnap her dog in the beginning so she's not far off base with her accusation they just didn't happen to kidnap her dog this time in reality uh ginger probably already ate it yeah yep (laughs) oops and then we talked about this one a bit earlier it's called locked into strangeness and so this is talking about like locks of hair right so it's when your hair changes color as a result of trauma or a large event and so ginger's hair turning white over time Mm -hmm. well this is a big one so missing white woman syndrome oh so yeah, so this is a commentary on how the disappearances of white men, particularly those deemed attractive by society and at least middle class or wealthier, are noticed immediately when they go missing and heavily covered in the news. Yep. This is in contrast to how folks of color, men, houseless people, sex workers, and other marginalized people don't receive the same attention or care. Yep. And so here, Trina was listed as missing pretty much immediately. Immediately. Yep. And that's like a huge issue just in society and also in the way like true crime is covered i listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and i love true crime podcasts but it's also like there tends not to be a lot of information released about folks of color that have gone missing or sex workers because it's not covered in the same way right and so it's just this compounding effect of like their cases aren't covered by the media their cases aren't covered by podcasts their cases aren't investigated their cases aren't solved right yeah exactly well that's the thing it's like podcasts and all these things can't cover them because there's no information. They're often not solved. They're often just yeah. pushed aside. There was one recently that Unfortunately. I appreciated the way it was covered because they covered like this really fucking famous like missing white woman. Mm-hmm. And then they said the same like month or whatever, another woman was went missing. She was a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Her case did not receive the same attention. And so they did two cases at once to say like, oh, this was bullshit. So yeah, it's fucked up. I thought that was a good pairing. Yeah. Uh, and then the last trope that I have mm-hmm. is we can rule together. <laughs> and it's when Ginger's trying to literally seduce Bridget into joining her as a werewolf. Right. That was a real creepy moment. Did it was. Play. Yeah. When she's like, we're barely related anymore. Luckily, mm-hmm. it's very short. But mm-hmm. I I remember watching it going, no, yeah. she's just, she's not saying that. And no. I went, she's saying that? She's saying that? <laughs> I was like, don't do that. That's, no, no, no. Nope. Don't, don't. Did not like. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Um. Those are good tropes. Yeah. We got some really some really different ones in there. Oh yeah. Um, and then that last trope reminded me of this one last scene that I wanted to say I really liked. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you notice, I'm sure you did. Um, the very first scene, not first scene, but the moment when they talk about their pact and they're sitting mm-hmm. on their beds and they're like, it's gonna be, you know, just you and me, and they like hold hands and do their little shake, handshake that they do. Mm-hmm. And then the very last shot of the movie is Bridget in that exact same place on the ground and she's got this deadpan um, shot of the two beds, her right in the center, G- Ginger's dead. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, 
they started the movie with them together saying they would never leave each other and then it ends in the exact same place with Bridget being completely alone but not necessarily she's sad Mm -hmm. she's very sad but like this is showing that like Bridget is her own person yeah and yeah so it's just I love I love when movies do that I love when they have the same the beginning shot and the end shot very very similar or the same and it just oh, but like so cool. Things are different. Things are changed. Right. It's that call back like, to an easier time or a worse time. Right. But like or a worse time. Like in because she's very hesitant mm-hmm. to be like she's like come on shake my hand in the beginning and finally Bridget does it and in this one I mean it was the same hesitation of like should she kill Ginger and then it happens and you know you see all the photos of them together and it's just like Ooh, yeah it was a good moment and like I thought it was so poignant when she like yells to Ginger like I'm not dying in this room I'm not dying with you yep and it's just like she chose in that moment yeah because that's, and it oh, yeah that's been their came whole full circle I know because it's been their whole plan their whole life yeah and then finally when it wasn't a choice she was like no like this is ridiculous like no like what we've been saying our whole lives is yeah. not what I want anymore and I think she just did it because that's what Bridget wanted and now yeah. she's her own person. Yeah. Um, and don't know if anybody caught this. Kate and I did, obviously. Bridget is Beverly Marsh from the 1998. Hell yeah. So she popped on screen and I went, Bev. Beverly. Sweet, sweet Bev. I remember Bev. Oh. So, uh, yeah. And I knew this only because I Googled it. There's uh, a sequel and a prequel. I Yeah. I I knew that there was a sequel. I did not know there was a prequel. Yeah. They're not by the same people. So I, I didn't think that so. was like in an interview and they asked like, how do you feel about not being on the creative team? And she was like, someone else took a story that they were inspired by and went with it. And that's really cool. And I was like, you go, Walton. <laughs> I like her a lot. Yeah, I would be tempted to see how they hold up. Because remember yeah. when we watched The Descent and we <sighs> loved it. Yeah. It was and so bad. And then Kate bad. and I thought, this will be fun. We'll watch The Descent too, just for ourselves, not for the show, just for fun. And it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So bad. Whatever anger I had for the fourth kind, I have pales in comparison. Just the same amount for the descent mm-hmm. to a horrible um, movie. Yeah, I like am trying to strike it from my memory because it's like to me, I have disconnected it from the actual movie. Oh the yeah, descent. like to me, they are separate franchises. Oh, one hundred percent. Two is just like trying to piggyback. It is yep. not canon. Nope. It will never be it's canon horrible. to me. It's not good. They're not even a little bit close to the same movie no. franchise to me. The no. Descent is a standalone amazing movie. Yes. The Descent 2 is a weird garbage movie that they decided to make for no reason. Mm-hmm. There you go. Don't like Horrible it. Horrible film. So, and I don't like the shit talk films that no. much. But this one... We had a lot of qualms. I know that I... Listen, I know that I shit talked the fourth kind, but that one also fucking profited off of indigenous people going missing. So fuck that movie. Yeah. Don't care. Fuck that movie, yeah. The Descent, too. I'm sorry, but it really was terrible. It really did suck. <laughs> yeah. So we okay. have rated sorry. some other... Ma- oh, <laughs> never apologize. <laughs> oh. I have some ideas okay. for a potential rating scale, but I want to hear your ideas okay. first. Okay. Okay. I just have one, so let's hear yours, and I'll throw mine out when you're done. I have four. Okay. Okay. Tupperware fingers. Four head smacks. <gasps> okay, that was mine! <laughs> Consolation cake slices. And pumpkin earrings. <laughs> Mine was forehead smacks. Yeah. Um, I love the forehead I... smacks so much. <laughs> <laughs> it was so condescending. Oh, knowing that she could kill her at any moment. She's like, I'm just going to smack your forehead, you dummy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of a cat like smacking something. <laughs> it, 
it just it reminds me of like when you have a, a shitty like sibling who's just like stop, stop hitting, hitting yourself, yourself. <laughs> and like ginger does have that moment when something's very serious is happening and uh it's when bridget is like I like you wanted to ruin every part of me that wasn't you and like I'm never going to become you or she says something like I am you or I am not you and uh Ginger's like I know right. you are, but what am I <laughs> it's just like that moment where you're just like oh my god they're teens <laughs> yeah they're teens <clears throat> forehead smacks okay 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 for me it's between forehead smacks and Tupperware fingers um yeah I think we should go Tupperware Fingers because it really draws in Pamela, who you know. It does draw in Pamela. Pamela's a ride or die for her kids, and I'm a ride or die for Pamela. So yep. <laughs> we got to do Tupperware Fingers. Where Pamela stands. Where Pamela stands. Hashtag Pamela stands. We are. What did, we only, we've hashtag only ever Pamela had stands. one other hashtag, and it was hashtag Hell Yeah Heather for the Blair Witch. Yeah. <laughs> so now we just have hashtag Pamela stands. <laughs> hashtag Pamela ride or die. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah. Um. You went first last time, didn't you? Uh. For the I did. Time? I did. Because yeah. I took mine down to one and a half over large eyeballs after hearing your critiques. <laughs> okay. Um. I think, like most of the, I, well, I think okay, simply because I hadn't seen it before, and because of how much it surprised me, and how much I really, really liked the lighting and everything, I'm gonna give it a full five Tupperware fingers. <sighs> Oh I my know. god! I think, and like, listen. If I if I watched it again, like maybe I'd end up taking it down or something. But because I hadn't seen it before and I didn't know what to expect, and it surprised me with everything—plot, camera work, lighting—everything was a pleasant surprise. And maybe it's because we just watched the fourth kind, and this was so good. Five Tupperware fingers. Listen, I liked it. I also give it five Tupperware fingers. <gasps> And wow. I'm trying to figure out, because there were two fingers in the Tupperware, so is five Tupperware yeah. fingers one whole hand worth of fingers, or is it two hands of fingers? Because it's five containers each of two. Do we have two hands? Two hands. I, think, I think we have two full hands of Tupperware fingers. We do have two full hands of Tupperware fingers. I give it five Tupperware fingers, meaning ten fingers. I give it. Two hands. I give it, I give it two full Tupperware hands. Two full Tupperware hands. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, you know what? Yeah. I thought it was Spirit inventive. Tupperware fingers for this movie. I, I thought it... It just did things with werewolves that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. It was relatable to me as, like, someone who shares multiple identities with the writer. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, me as a white woman identifying with another white woman's story. Right. So, obviously, it's not going to be something that everyone identifies with. Right. And that's valid. <laughs> uh, but I found this refreshing and inventive, and I just enjoyed the shit out of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. All the same reasons I I saw myself a lot in Ginger when she's not a bloodthirsty wolf. Yeah. Um. I I just they captured the what it's like to be a teen yeah. while also making a monster movie, mm -hmm. and that's really hard to do. That's a fine line to walk. And they walked it really well. Yeah. And it was just interesting. I thought it was really good. I yeah. mean, it's it's nice when you can watch a movie and know a woman was a part of this in some way mm -hmm. enough that it's actually accurately capturing things and yeah yep. so <sighs> and you know beautiful lighting and beautiful lighting apparently <laughs> i believe you <laughs> i need to watch it again anytime you talk about lighting i was like okay i'm gonna watch it knowing what she's pointing out and i'm gonna notice it this time and i just still get distracted <laughs> like and here's the thing is like, I'm in no way an expert in lighting at all. I just say what I like about it. So listen, if I'm wrong or people don't like the lighting in movies, 
that's totally understandable. I am not, I do not have a degree in any kind of filmmaking whatsoever. I just watch a movie and I say, ah, yes, these are the things I enjoyed about the lighting. So please don't drag me too hard if I'm wrong. (laughs) I'm just flying by doing my best. Um, Listen, if someone drags Nikki, we'll bring Angie in. Oh, don't fucking make us bring Angie in. She's cute as hell. She's scary. I'm honestly, I just called her scary and I looked behind me to make sure she, I'm going to look again. Oh God, it's fucking dark in the living room. I can't see her. (gasps) Angie's just slowly getting closer. Listen, she's not going to be mad at me. She'll be mad at someone else. So don't piss off Angie. Okay. Yeah. So with the threat of, you know, uh, invoking the fear of our doll upon you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or invoking the wrath now that we've of Angie. Threatened you with our haunted doll. Mm-hmm. Let us tell you about her Patreon. <laughs> yeah, that wraps up our discussion. <laughs> After the threats, uh, we're done talking about this movie for now. We really enjoyed Ginger Snaps. If you enjoyed your time with us, we would greatly appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That really, really does help people find our podcast, and we just really love reading them because it's true. y'all have cool shit to say. And you could also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Just Go With It on both. You can check out our extended show notes on our website, justgowithitpod.com. And you can check out our Patreon, where we promise we will not uh, threaten you with a doll. Yeah. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash it. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank Kim, Kelly, Nihar, and Will. They are incredible patrons. We are so, so, so grateful for them. Love them. They're rad humans. So rad. The in- Oh, so rad. The intro and outro music was created by Anthony Roccozella, and the cover art is by our very own Nikki Solomon. Yeah. All right. Do you like that sultry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking for Angie in the background. Stop. Oh, my God. We have to cut because I have to go look for Angie I'm now. i to go. See you guys. I got to go find Angie. I'm fucking scared. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>